So good to be with you here today. And DeAndre is, is absolutely right uh, that it's, it's, it's difficult, particularly in the worship part of our time together. It's just tough to do that at home. And so we are thankful that you have, uh, you're signing in with us today. But we welcome you to come and join us here. It's just different in the room. Am I right? When you're in the room, it's just a different thing. So... Uh, my name is Alan. Uh, so glad that you're here today. Excited because we're going to start a new series called We Didn't Start the Fire. For the next five weeks, we are going to talk about church history. Nothing says party like five weeks of church history. Woo! Can I hear a woot? Okay. For those of you who are at home, don't close the window. I know, I know after I say church history, okay, Don, you're moving on. You're listening to Andy Stanley. I know. Just don't close the window just yet. It's harder for those here in the room to get up and walk out because you're kind of stuck. You're kind of stuck, and you can pretend you're going to the bathroom, but you're kind of stuck here uh, when all four of you in the family get up to go to the bathroom. We know. We know what's going on. So, but you at home, you can just, just give us a chance. Give us a shot one week and see if this series kind of, connects to anything in life. But we are going to talk about church history. Why would we do that? Why would we waste five weeks talking about this? Because this is your story. This is our story. These are our people throughout this 2,000-year journey. If you, as an adult, found out that you were adopted Don't you think you would want to find out some information about your birth parents, if not wanting to meet them? Most of us would want to at least learn something about our birth parents because these people that we've never met, they shape who we are today. And the same thing can be said about the church history journey. We can't know, we can't understand what's going on with the big C church around the world, with Mountain Park Church, with our roles as followers of Jesus, we can't understand that without exploring how we got here. So that's why we're going to take a look at church history. You're stuck and you're committed to at least one week. So thankful for that. All right, would you pray with me? God, I am thankful for your story. I'm thankful for men and women who have been incredibly courageous that have brought us to this place right now. We stand here in this room able to talk about you, able to worship and celebrate you because of the men and women who have made extraordinary decisions to lead us to this point uh, right here today. God, as we look at one part of your story here today, God, would you inspire us? Come, in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, the reason this series is titled We Didn't Start the Fires, uh, a number of years ago I was listening to the old Billy Joel song. Remember from the 80s? All right, so he goes through lots of lyrics, lots and lots of boom, 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 boom lyrics, and, and some of us tried to memorize that. And great song. I was listening to that song a number of years ago, and uh, if you're not familiar with the song, it's, it's actually kind of negative. That what, it's a great song, but what Billy Joel does with it is basically say, it's not our generation's fault that we're not the ones who started the fire that is the mess of the world that we're in, that things have happened decades and decades prior to us. Things have gone on for uh, uh, many times, uh, you know, prior to us here. And so we're not the ones who started this fire. And so I just thought, what if, what if we just viewed it more as a positive thing? Because, you know, this whole idea of a fire burning is part of the, 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 
the representation of the story of God that, that Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, he says to young Timothy, who's a new pastor, he says, Timothy, fan the flame. Fan the flame that is, that is the faith. See, Timothy, you didn't start this revolution of love. You didn't start this. Jesus did, and he passed it on to his disciples. And so our job is not to start the, the, the flame. Our job is to keep it burning. We didn't start that fire, but it's, it has been their responsibility to keep the fire burning and for us to continue to keep it burning, to fan the flame that is the message of Jesus. So I thought, I thought uh, uh, so what I did is I rewrote the words to the song, We Didn't Start the Fire, with more of a positive celebration of the, the events and the people from history uh, uh, walking through. There's five verses of the song, and essentially this morning we're talking about verse one, the first part of the story. And so uh, here's the song with rewritten lyrics. Check it out. Nicaea, Council of Chalcedon, Bible canon, dualism, what's a trinity? Martyrdom, Gnosticism, Nero, and persecution, Cyril, and Nestorius, early heresy. Developing Christology, questioning his deity, Irenaeus, Marcion, Rational, Tertullian, Roman law, Constantine, Confessions of Augustine, Clement of Philosophy, the man who lost his origin. Didn't start the fire, it was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire, but we didn't light it, never hide it. All right, that's verse one. So for the next five weeks, we're going to look at one verse at a time, walking this uh, thing out. But today, this morning, we're going to take a look at the first 400 years, zero to 400. Essentially, we're going to take a look at the first few hundred years after the story that we find in the Bible. So we read the Old Testament, then we read the New Testament. And what we're looking at is the first few hundred years after the New Testament story finished. The last book in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. And in that book, there are many references to the beast. Most understand the beast to be a reference to the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire. It was, it was punishable by death if you ever wrote anything negative about the Roman Empire. So John, the writer of the book of Revelation, most likely talked about the, the prophecy of what was going to happen to the Roman Empire and referred to it as the beast. John wrote that the beast would fall, which is ridiculous because no one at the time thought that the Roman Empire would ever fall. It was so mighty, so grand. The sun never set on the Roman Empire. And so, so uh, John writes that the, that the Roman Empire, that the beast would fall, but not until many would perish. And that's exactly the story, that these early Christians in the first few hundred years, they were awfully persecuted by the Romans, by the Roman Empire. They continued to be crucified in a manner similar to what Jesus, how Jesus died. The Romans continued to do that with Christians, simply because they were Christians declaring that they were following Jesus. Christians were, were burned 
uh, at the stake, burned alive at night as living torches in the front yard of Emperor Nero. They would just light up his front yard. Christians burning alive. And then, of course, we have, we have many Christians who were killed by lions as entertainment for the Romans. Thousands of Christians died as a part of this early journey, these first few hundred years. And then in the year 313, the emperor at the time was Constantine. And he decided, he realized that these Christians aren't going anywhere. He wasn't going to get rid of them. It's been hundreds of years. We can't stop these men and women. And so he actually orders the Edict of Milan that legalizes Christianity, that allows Christianity to continue. This was, this was a huge thing. And then, are you with me? Then something even more amazing happens. That same emperor, Emperor Constantine, actually decides to be a follower of Jesus. Boom! He just becomes a follower of Jesus. This thing that they have been trying to stop for 300 years, that the emperor actually becomes a follower of this cult. They thought Christianity was a cult because its followers would eat the flesh and drink the blood of their savior. So this whole Christianity thing was just, they just were, just wanted it to go away. And now the emperor actually becomes a follower of this journey. So now for the first time, the followers of Jesus are living in peace. They are no longer running afraid for their lives and meeting in secrecy. Now they're actually living in peace because the Roman Empire has actually embraced the faith and the, the, the emperor himself is a follower of Jesus. So now for the first time, they have the luxury of sitting around and asking each other, so what is it exactly that we believe anyway? They've been so busy trying to just say, we, we know Jesus is Lord, and we are just kind of figure out what that looks like. But they, but they didn't have the chance to just sit down, okay, what exactly is it that we believe? Now, you've got to understand, it was a completely different world for them. They had nothing in terms of, of what to access to get answers to their questions, they had nothing. They had letters that were being circulated and gospels that were, the, the gospel um, writers that had been circulated. They had the writings of the New Testament, but they did not have any answers beyond that. All they had was the New Testament. You and I, we're, we read the New Testament, and when we come upon something that, that is confusing, we're unsure of, that gives us a little head tilt, hmm, I'm not sure what that means, we have so many different avenues for that. We can be reading a study Bible. We just read at the bottom of the page, and it might give us some suggestions in terms of what, to, what, what that meant. We can read all sorts of books. There are libraries of books that have been written to help us understand these things. Brilliant men and women who have done this. And now we have the Internet that has all the answers. So we have access to so many different things. They had nothing. It would be like having an enormous Lego set with no instructions and no picture of what the final product is supposed to look like. They just had all these pieces. I don't know how to put this together. I'm not sure. What do we do here? So what we have are these, these men and women trying to figure it out, and they're debating, 
and they're having conversations with one another and they're, they're looking at their trusted leaders and their leaders are, and their greatest thinkers are debating what was happening. And the biggest debate in the early part of the church, it was the right debate. The biggest debate was the relationship between Jesus and God. What was that relationship? Remember, all they had access to was the New Testament. So in that debate, there were two primary different places that they landed. One was led by a guy named Arius. Can you say Arius? Good. At home, can you say Arius? Good. Some of you said it in here for them to help them out. I like that. Okay. So on, on Arius's side, Arius said, okay, based on Scripture, Jesus, what we're talking about here is the relationship between Jesus and God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is, was created by God. He is the, the only begotten Son of God, as we read in the New King James that came many years later. But that's our understanding of this, all right? Jesus, that, all, that all makes sense. Jesus is the Son of God, which means he's not equal to God. He was created by God. He's not equal to God. To God. After all, Jesus talked to God. Jesus prayed to God. So Jesus was not equal to God. Arius was uh, known famously for saying, There was a time when the Son was not, the S O N. There was a time when God existed and Jesus did not exist. This is what Arius was saying as an understanding of the relationship between Jesus and God. Arius explained this as a part of this big, massive debate, and he had his two minutes to explain it, and then his microphone went mute because he was done. He was done with his time. That's how it went back then. Okay, so this was called Arianism, A-R-I-A-N, not to be confused with A-R-Y-A-N, which is the racial supremacy thing that happened many, many years later. They are completely different. This was Arianism trying to understand the relationship between Jesus and God. On the other side, we have Alexander. And Alexander simply said, Jesus is God. That Jesus himself says that, that if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. That Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so what we have is, is this debate between Arius and Alexander, and the bait continued to go on, and they okay, well, where do we land? Where does the church land? Where do we officially land, etc.? So they decided to set up the Council of Nicaea as a multi-month gathering of the greatest thinkers and leaders in the, in the early Christian church to figure out who was right, to figure out this debate. It just, it's hard to imagine how big of a deal this was for them. And, then, and what they had to figure out over a few months. It takes us several months to figure out how many services we're going to have at Christmas time. And they had to gather to clarify whether or not Jesus is God. Boom. So they gathered together at the Council of Nicaea. And as a result of their time together and their effort and their just wrestling with these questions, they landed on the first version of the Nicene Creed that many of us would be familiar with. The Nicene Creed is divided up into three sections. The first section says this about the Father. 
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Then the next section is about the Son. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, this is because of the debate, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. And I say dot, dot, dot because there's more that the Nicene Creed talks about in terms of more details in terms of who Jesus is. And then in the final section, it's about the Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets, dot, dot, dot. There's more uh, as a part of the, the end of the Nicene Creed there. If you think that the Declaration of Independence was an amazing piece of writing, which you should, (laughs) that the brilliance and the courage that it took to write the Declaration of Independence as a part of American history and all that was happening and what they came up with is amazing. If you think that was amazing, the Nicene Creed should blow your mind. (laughs) Because based on what they had, they, they had to take these pieces, and what they did is they created a document that we still embrace today, 1,700 years later. We still embrace this document as, as such a helpful way of us understanding our faith. We still read it. We say, this is, I still believe this. I still believe in what the Nicene Creed had balanced out here, broken down into three sections, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This was the foundation of the concept of the Trinity. That's where there should be right there. There should be sound effects right there. The Trinity. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up right across the street from a lovely little church and they invited me and my brothers to come over there and and kind of learn what we could. But by the time I graduated from high school, I really didn't know much. I didn't know much at all about the relationship between Jesus and God as these folks debated and wrestled with centuries prior. I didn't know much about it. But I, I, did, I did want to believe and I did want to grow and learn. And so I joined a group on campus called Campus Crusade for Christ in my second year of university. And in the, some of the first few meetings, I remember being approached by an awkward fellow student named Darcy. And I remember his name because his name tag said D-apostrophe-A-R-C-Y. And I, that just locked in for me, Darcy. His name was Darcy. And so Darcy came up and he didn't have all that awareness of social space. And so he came right up to me and, and he just, he said, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? I mean, this is, this is you know, great way to welcome a new person, right? And I said, I, I think so. And he said, do you believe in the virgin birth? He was really getting after me. And, uh, and I don't know what I did to provoke this, but I said, uh, Bert, Bert uh, I th- that's the Christmas. I think so. I think so. And then he said, uh, he said, do you believe in the resurrection? Of, of whom? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then he said, do you believe in the Trinity? And I said, oh, I know this one. Yes, I love all three Star Wars movies, complete." <laughs> 
huge fan of the whole deal. And so I knew nothing about the Trinity. I remember Darcy asked me, and I did not have an answer. I didn't know what the Trinity was. Here, 30 years later, it's still a mystery. The Trinity is a word we are not going to find in the Bible. There is not a verse that I can put up on the screen that says this is what the Trinity is. The Trinity is a, is a human attempt to explain the mysterious relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it, it, it is not... It is not something for us to lay out with it. With, this is exactly what it means in every detail. It remains a mystery that, that God is one in three persons. God, that all three persons are one, yet they are distinctly three. What? I mean, it's, it's like an ant trying to explain the internet. That's who we are as we try to explain what the Trinity is. We can do our best, but we will fall short. The best thing I've seen that I just want to share with you today actually shows up 700 years later. It, okay, it shows up 1,000 years ago in a diagram that is referred to as the shield of the Trinity. It's really kind of a simple thing, but I find it rather helpful. This is what the shield of the Trinity looks like. It starts in the center with God, that God is one. The Trinity has to embrace and be focused on the fact that God is one. This is the, the, the central tenet of the Jewish faith, based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was so important in a world that was worshiping many gods, the pagan gods for this and that, with Greek mythology and all of the gods that were around there. This was the, was the, was the religion that was clarifying that there is one God. And this is central to the Jewish story and central to the Christian story. It does not fade away as we enter into the Trinity. There is one God. Now, as we understand that God, there are three persons. First of all, the Father is God. The Father is God. And we find some, uh, some evidence for this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul writes, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. The Father is God. Secondly, the Son is God. The Son is God. And this, we see this in uh, the Apostle John. He writes at the very beginning of his gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. So Jesus is God. And then thirdly, the third arm of our um, shield is that the Spirit is God. And uh, we find evidence for this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Spirit, now the, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of whom are God. But when we, when we add this next uh, image here, 
The Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. This is the shield of the Trinity, to say that these three are the one God, but they are distinct from one another. They are unique from one another. John writes in chapter 14, a verse that, that, um, rep, that shows all three distinct persons. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus writes, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. All three persons. One God in three persons. We have, we have the Father is God. The Father creates. Everything, everything comes from the Father. We have the Son is God. The Son redeems. There is this theme throughout the Bible story of redemption, that God takes what is lost, what is broken, what is separated, and redeems it, buys it back. That's what the word redeems means. You redeem a coupon. You, 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 you exchange it. You buy it back. Jesus, this is what Jesus did on the cross. He buys us back because our sins have separated us from God. And then finally, the Spirit guides. The Father creates, the Son redeems, the Spirit guides. The Spirit is with us, is, 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 it dwells with us, is with us all the time. One God in three persons. Can't you just hear the ant trying to explain? Okay, there's this thing called electricity. And then trying to move on from that. Can't you just kind of hear this? So, so what? Why are we talking about this? Why, why does this, this huge debate that they had to wrestle through and that they brilliantly landed on the Nicene Creed that led into this concept of the Trinity and all of that, why does this matter? Why is this so important? Why, why are we, we waste five weeks on this? That for those of you who I lost, you know, when I first mentioned church history and you're done, uh, just come back to me for just a moment because here's, here's why this is important. What we believe shapes our actions. So we have to know what we believe. What we believe shapes our actions. What you believe about nutrition shapes what you put into your mouth, what you believe about it. My amazing mother-in-law believed that Jello could pass as a salad. And so we had, we had Jello as a healthy start to so many meals because she believed that was a healthy thing. What you believe in terms of nutrition, in terms of the coffee that you drink, it shapes, it doesn't determine, you still get to decide, but it shapes how much guilt you have based on the choices you make. What you believe about your boss shapes every word that comes from his or her mouth. What you believe about intentions, etc. What you believe about your spouse shapes how you treat him or her. If you have come to believe that your spouse is a loser, that you could have done better, that will shape how you respond to his or her mistakes. It'll shape your conversations and plans for the future. It just does. What you believe about COVID-19 shapes your actions. It shapes 
whether or not you wear a mask. It shapes whether or not you come to church. It shapes, possibly, whom you will vote for this week or who you have already voted for. What we believe shapes our actions. And so these heroes of the faith, 1,700 years ago, they had to break this down to say, we have to know what we believe. They wrestled with their faith. Have you wrestled with your faith? Have you wrestled with these things? Or have you just embraced what others have believed, what others have told you? What we believe shapes our actions. What we believe about God the Father, the Creator, it shapes how we treat His creation. What we believe about God breathing life into a fertilized egg, it shapes our actions. What we believe about Jesus the Son, it shapes how we live our lives. Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What we believe about those phrases of Jesus, they shape how we act when no one's watching. If we don't truly believe that that's true, that's going to shape our actions when no one's watching. But if we believe Jesus truly is with us always, it's not going to dictate what we do, but it's going to shape our actions. What we believe about the Holy Spirit shapes what we believe we are capable of. If we believe that we are victims of our circumstances, that shapes how we act. However, if we believe that we have a tremendous power inside of us as followers of Jesus, that will shape how we view what we are capable of. What we believe shapes our actions. Have you wrestled with your faith? Have you wrestled with this stuff? A faith that has not been wrestled with is brittle. But a faith that has been wrestled and worked and stretched and struggled and, 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 and dialogued through, it is so much stronger. And that's the faith that all the more will shape our actions. This is your story. These are your people. Let's be inspired by them. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I do, I do thank you for the men and women of faith. Just, just, just a couple that we looked at here today, and yet there were, there were so many who have been so brave throughout this journey. God, help us to be inspired today. Help us to be inspired over these five weeks that we would revisit our own relationship with you because of what others have done in the past. Lead us, guide us today to see opportunities for us to to have our beliefs shape our actions this week, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.